Welcome to Family Chemotherapy, a corner for parents and caretakers fighting and surviving pediatric cancer. I'm your host, Adriana Lewin. Hi, and welcome back to episode five with Adriana Lewin of Family Chemotherapy. Uh, Today's episode is going to be an interview that I did with one of my dearest friends, Dr. Candace Chuyu Campbell. As soon as I started this podcast, I knew immediately that I wanted to have a chance to interview her. And of course, you know, she really didn't have much of a choice because we're like best friends. And so I basically knew that she would have a lot to bring to the table for the community that we're in for pediatric cancer. And so I asked her to take some time and talk to us about play therapy and talking to children about cancer. So I'm going to hop on over and I'm going to let you hear our interview. Pardon the awkwardness. (laughs) This is my first interview that I've done on a podcast. So um, bear with me. I promise I'm going to try and do better at this, but it's really informational. And I really think that you will have um, things that you can walk away with and tips that you can use when you feel that you're ready to talk to your children about cancer. Welcome to Family Chemotherapy. Thank you. Excited to be here. I'm super excited to have a chance to interview you and talk with you because I know you have so much to offer people in my position where we all are, you know, parents with kids fighting pediatric cancer, or even just other families that are also dealing with cancer in the family um, and have kids that maybe finding ways to communicate with them will be super helpful. So um, why don't you start out by telling me a little bit about yourself? Okay. Um, Well, I am uh, Candace Hugh Campbell. I have my doctorate from Texas A&M Commerce. I got my undergrad and master's at UNT where I trained for play therapy. Um, So I am a licensed professional counselor, supervisor, registered play therapist, supervisor, and I am currently the clinical director at the Harold Murphy Counseling Center, which is located in McKinney and is a joint effort between Texas A&M Commerce and McKinney ISD and also have a private practice. Amazing. do you want to tell me a little bit about, um, so you're an LPC, right? You have yes. your PhD. What is your PhD in? Counselor Education and Supervision. Okay. So yeah, so uh, I guess we met each other when we were both interns um, back woo, a while ago. It's, it's been almost a decade. Um, yeah, I know. I know. Oh, gosh. So yeah, <laughs> it's been almost a decade. Yeah. And um, I also got a chance to work with you at the Children's Advocacy Center uh, here in Plano for a while. Um, and so you have a lot of experience and I know you were there at uh, Children's Advocacy Center for several years, mm-hmm. right? Nine and so, years. Yeah. And you got a chance to do a lot of training with play therapy through that mm-hmm. environment and also um, at UNT, right? Right. So um, I actually wanted to start out asking you a couple of questions. Okay. Um, basically, um, can you explain a little bit more 
what a registered play therapist actually is versus just a regular LPC? Yeah, absolutely. So a registered play therapist is certified by the Association for Play Therapy, which is a national organization. Um, there are certain trainings that you have to do a certain amount of trainings. Uh, I had to do 150 hours of direct training. Um, and then I think 300 to 500, I think 500 hours of direct play um, under the supervision of someone who knew how to do play therapy. Uh, so it's very specialized, individualized. Um, so it's not just, let's just play with toys. Uh, we look at themes uh, with the child. We build that rapport and that relationship with them and just using developmentally appropriate tools to help guide children. What kind of themes do you look for? So it kind of depends. Um, I will always tell parents, kids will start with one type of theme and then I'll know when therapy is kind of wrapping up when they are able to transition to a different one. So let's say we might see beginning more themes of aggression. Lots of fighting, a lot of wars and, you know, girls and boys. Um, it could be a lot of hitting, like the bot bag, not me. I'm, I'm not for hitting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know how it goes. Um, and then eventually, well, I want to see more mastery play. This is what I can do. Let me um, show you what I can draw. Let me, you know, count for you or things like that. Or even if it's more um, nurturing play, uh, let me feed a baby. Let me feed you. Uh, in session, if it was real food, I'd be gaining a lot of weight because I get fed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eat it. Eat right? My, <laughs> eat the <donut>. okay. <laughs> Right? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I do that with my own kids, you know? They're like, here, drink. Mommy, drink this. <laughs> You're like... Right? It's like up your nose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. Okay, so what about um, families, let's say because you have dealt a lot with children with trauma. And so um, that, in my opinion, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, but in my opinion, trauma translates um, and how kids will express it basically, whether it's losing a sibling or having, you know, like in, in my son, Evan, his case, he was diagnosed with cancer. And I feel like um, a lot of the things that you can do for other traumatic experiences like the sexual trauma that you worked a lot with could still apply for children who have been diagnosed with cancer or the siblings who also have someone in the family that's been going through cancer treatment. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So kids play out what they know. Um, adults use words, kids use play. And What's great about Imagine Play, they're also working on problem solving too. So they're going to play out their experiences, what they're going through, uh, regardless if it's sexual abuse or uh, with someone losing someone or about to lose someone, which in case of cancer, you just don't know, the day's not given. Uh, so they'll see a lot of themes of death. Um, and you may see a lot of medical stuff like gain injections, uh, band-aids on you, 
And if you have real band-aids, it'll be all over you, <laughs> you know, or a baby doll or whomever. Um, kids will find out ways to really work out what they're trying to figure out in life. Yeah. Does that make sense? I, yeah. We see, you yeah. know, we were very fortunate that when we started out, um, at one of the hospitals that we started out with, they actually sent us home with two different dolls, <laughs> play dolls, basically. One was, you know, covered up in, um, it was like a frog. I wish I had it. Um, it's a frog that has a little mask on and um, they mm -hmm. actually added the, the port to the frog and put the bandage th to make it look just like what our children actually go through. So yeah, so, Evan got an interesting little doll that looked like, to, to me, it looked like a voodoo doll, right? And he could like draw the face on there. And apparently you can like wash it, but it just, <laughs> it was, it was a little creepier for me, but hey, he loved it. Cause he was like, yeah, let me draw a smiley face. And I was like really interested in seeing how he would draw the face on there. Cause you know, that also is a big telling sign about how they interpret what they're going through. And, and he actually ended up drawing, it looked like a smiley face to me. So um, yeah, he ended up drawing a little smiley face on that one. And so he has those two. And then he got another one through another organization um, that also sent him another little type of doll that same thing, the play, it's like the little play kit, right? And he got mm -hmm. his own real stethoscope, bandages, band-aids. And so all their days that like all three of my kids are literally like they have all their dolls lined up and they're just like giving them shots and medicine and putting band-aids all over them. So yeah, so we see a lot of that play in my house. Mm-hmm. Is so, it normal? That's their life. Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting because you know, the siblings haven't seen it. I think Austin saw it once. Mm -hmm. Um and I made the big mistake of not processing it with him. So he came to the hospital one day. It was like earlier on in the treatment and he came because he wanted to be there for his brother and he wanted to see what clinic was like. And it was a hospital, hospital admission day. And so he got to see everything and I could see that he was like, what's going on, you know, but in the midst of all of it, like trying to console one child and just the movement of how clinic goes, he ended up going home after a couple of hours. Um, after we got settled into the room. And then I heard the next day he had a rough day at school. And I was like, I bet you part of that is I didn't get to actually process everything with him by the end of the day. Like he just left, didn't talk about it and then went to school and had a rough day the next day. So yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Well, and I definitely agree. There's a lot to take in. Even as adults, it's a lot for us to take in. And so to not know what's going on, there's a lot of feelings. And I would also imagine for him being the sibling, it's like, well, is my brother in pain? Is this going to cause him pain? This is scary. I'm scared. What's he, what's it feeling like for him? Yeah. Especially when, I mean, in that clinic appointment, he Evan was like screaming because they were accessing his port, you know? And so like Austin was, you could tell he was scared. Like he was worried for his brother about what was going on. And so, yeah. Um, I just remember thinking to myself like, hello, like 
how did you not process this with your child <laughs> before he went, you know, went off and didn't get a chance to process it with him at night? Because a lot of times we do a lot of our conversations at night when we have like real good quality one-on-one -on -one time and let him talk through things. So yeah, definitely, you know, for anyone out there, if you do bring your, you know, the siblings, absolutely try and process what, what was going on during the day and just how they were feeling and, you know, validate those feelings that, yeah, I can understand why you would be scared. It sounds, you know, you look like you were nervous when you saw your brother getting his port accessed and, and whatnot. And so I'm going to come back to you because you're the professional at this one. <laughs> I do want to like kind of interject real quick. Yes. Um, so, and you're saying like with parents, don't forget to process. What I would also do beforehand is what we call doll play. And so get dolls, animals, whatever, the child can pick who is who and just kind of create a story with it and really walk them through what's going to happen that you know of. So that way they, when they go in, they know what to expect as best as possible. So you're using the dolls like, um, so once upon a time, uh, or not having used once upon a time, I think that's just a natural thing. <laughs> Especially if you have a girl, right? <laughs> yes. Once upon a time, there's a prince and princess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but really, you know, and so surprisingly, the doll's going to be named Evan. Yeah. Imagine that. Who's that? <laughs> right? And so Evan's mommy and daddy and brother went to the hospital and then you go through the whole process as best as you can um, and just create a story with it. That way, again, they can really, oh, remember that story? Yeah, what happened next? Okay, so that way they can be prepared as best as possible. I know there are some things that can go awry, um, but that way they can kind of ease that anxiety as well. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Um, when they talk about um, talking through what you like, what they've experienced, you mentioned kind of like storytelling and leading them and asking them what's next. Can you kind of explain what what that does for them? Like the whole. So what's next, and then what happened, and then what happened. So we're going, we're reminding them of what's going to happen because everyone needs structure. Kids especially need structure. So structure equals safety. Whenever they know what to expect, that's structure. So they start to feel safer because they know what yeah. to expect. Yeah, that makes sense. And so they're basically in a situation where they experienced something that wasn't it made them feel unsafe, I guess, or just worried or anxious by talking through it. Essentially, they are recalling it and be making it less fearful, kind of, because you kind of know what you're anticipating and you know what happens next in the story and you know that. Um, is that kind of what you're trying to say? Yeah, it, gets, it takes away that anticipation or that fear of what's going to happen. Um, and a lot of times they're going to be intrigued. Okay, do you remember in the story, blah, 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 did this, right? Well, where do they have? Let's talk, you know, that way they can identify. Like, oh, I remember this part. I remember what's going to happen next. Um, 
maybe not so excitedly, but yeah, yeah, it won't be a shock to them. So one of my questions um, that I've got for you, mm-hmm. and it kind of goes along that line, is how do kids handle trauma? Um, and specifically, I mean, I guess you could talk about it in a general sense, um, but before you answer that question, I just kind of want to give an example. Um, okay. Some places, basically, when they tell a parent that the child is diagnosed with cancer, they actually take the parent outside of the room and talk to the parent outside. In every situation that we were in, and we went to three, you know, we went to an emergency room two, two, two different times, um, one in Dallas, one in Houston. And in both emergency rooms, all conversations were had with my son there in the room. And so when I look back on those days from the time that we did the MRI, that was a a Wednesday evening before Thanksgiving. And we went to Houston and did the emergency room like seven o'clock in the morning on Friday after Thanksgiving. Um, There was such a, how can you, I can't even explain it. Like his demeanor, like he was just very quiet, very, um, we couldn't, I mean, I don't think he was in pain at that point. We had asked him and he was like, no, but his demeanor was just much more quiet, just listening. Um, and then once we actually started chemo and I think everyone just kind of had a little bit of a big breath of relief, like, okay, now we know what's next. Now we've kind of process one aspect of it. Like I started seeing his personality come back out more. Like he was talking more. He was a little more happy. Obviously, I mean, there's a little bit of a a mix between the experience and hearing what's going on, not understanding what's going on in Mm -hmm. little kid language or in terminology and seeing mom and dad, you know, like obviously we didn't do the best in keeping a poker face, like during Mm -hmm. conversations and trying to like understand everything. And I think he could tell, even if we weren't like crying, we try not to cry in front of the kids. Right. Um, but I think they could sense, like he could sense that something was wrong. Mm -hmm. And so can you kind of talk about, this is obviously a traumatic situation for him, right? Obviously for us too, but, um, how kids process that, like, even if you're not talking to them about cancer, Mm -hmm going through an ex- like a traumatic experience and kind of reading everybody else's reactions, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it depends on the kid and their personality. You have some kids that they feel it and they're going to shut down and be quiet. You have some kids that might be really angry. Um, and so kids are really good perceivers. They're good at perceiving emotions and the feelings in the room but they may not understand what's about right mm-hmm. um so like for instance if let's say you and ricky were just kind of upset by i guess the doctors or whatnot um evan could take okay i know they're really angry but is it at me like what's kind of going on here because they're not really understanding the whole thing but um so sometimes when they're perceiving things um and things that are traumatic it just kind of goes differently and with each kid there isn't a set this is exactly how they're going to respond you know um 
for those who have experienced trauma, there might be a little bit quieter, depending on it. They might be tearful, um, like maybe a little bit more anxious than they normally would be, or it could be on the opposite spectrum, could be angrier, um, which also sometimes the underlying emotion for anger really is fear. Uh, so it just kind of depends. I really don't have a straight answer on what it should look like because each kid's different. And as a parent, you'll know if something's different with your child. That's true. That's really true. Um, it's even like in the most subtle behaviors, you know, it's like it, it being on this side of it for us, it, it was very much a gradual um, obviously at first he was just really quiet and then he was just his normal self and just very charismatic. And we've actually seen him, which is, you know, strange to me, but we've seen him shine a lot through the process. Like he loves being the center of attention. He loves, you know, making people laugh and just being super silly with everyone that he meets in the hospital and all the nurses. And so, um, I feel like he's grown so much socially, um, because before all of this, people were like, oh, he's so shy. And I'm like, no, he's really not shy. If you like give him just a second with other kids, he is like loud and proud and like, you know, just <laughs> all boy. And so, um, but I did see, you know, a gradual change in him where it was like, okay, he's just arguing a lot more. Like he's just short tempered, you know, cause he was my most chill out of all my kids so far. He was just so chill about everything. And all of a sudden it's like, man, like kind of like that aggression, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, he's fighting again, or he's mad or throwing a lot more tantrums. And so that was kind of how, um, it took us a while, you know, to just kind of see how he handled everything, but you could definitely see subtle changes and it. You know, one day you'll just be like, oh my gosh, like what? What am I like? What do I do? Like, right. <laughs> like what is going on here? Like, right. what's my child? And that's, you know, <laughs> and that's actually like our, in our treatment plan, Evan hasn't had to do um, steroids. Well, like a little tiny, like a little tiny dose of it is um, administered every three weeks. But like kids who are doing, um, they do steroids as like heavy dose steroid for a prolonged period of time. And that's a lot of like the leukemia um, families do steroids. And so, uh, you know, those behaviors, like they act out and it's aggression and um, it's, it's difficult, you know? And so even like, if you have a sibling and you see your cancer sibling acting completely different, like how might a child kind of respond to that? I would assume a lot of confusion, um, maybe even some grief. And grief looks differently because it's not the same person that you knew. Your yeah. life is not the same. Um, going from nothing to all of a sudden, doctor's visits. Um, I know for y'all, having y'all were going to Houston for a while yeah. and then coming back. And so that kind of disrupts what the normal, the normalcy for y'all. Yeah. Um, so, and I can imagine for like an, a lot of the attention going on the child who's been ill, who's been diagnosed, 
all the focus is on there. So a lot of the, I've done um, support groups before for those whose siblings have been diagnosed with maybe on the spectrum or things like that. And so a lot of them, they just kind of feel like, well, I don't, like, I want to help my sibling, but then again, I'm kind of locked in the dust. Where am I? Yeah. With the family. And it's, there's that sadness and frustration, but also understanding that, yes, my sibling needs the attention because there's something else going on and we want them to be okay. We want them to be safe and healthy, but there's still this part of me that is sad and frustrated. Yeah, that's, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there because even with my oldest, like he, I feel like now he's starting to vocalize a lot more like, mommy, I need you, mommy, I need you. Like, because he's not used, well, now he's kind of used to me, but like, I think he's finally feeling the, okay, all the attention. Mommy's always in doctor's appointments and always taking him to the hospital, staying the night with him. And then um, Evan finds me more like the comfort. And I think a lot of that is because there's only one parent allowed in the hospital. And, um, I'm the one that's there. And so a lot of the times at night, he's like, no, I want to sleep with mommy. Right. And so, um, it becomes a, everybody wants to sleep with mommy and mommy can't be in three different rooms at the same time, you know? And it just, I I see that in my oldest where he's, he misses a lot of that time because it used to be before cancer, it was every other night we would take turns and switch off parents to, you know, sleep with, um, a different child and kind of read books with them and lay down with them until they fall asleep. And so things have changed for us. Uh, so I want to ask, what are some ways that we can talk to our kids about cancer? And I know there's different age gaps, I guess you could say, like age ranges that you would speak in a certain way. And so could you kind of give us some ideas on how to talk to like younger kids and maybe around like age frames for that versus older kids and how you can process talking about cancer and a diagnosis. Okay. Well, for one thing, always be honest and truthful. Um, And if you don't know it, it's okay to say, I don't know, because in life, we're not going to know. And I can also imagine with the cancer diagnosis and treatments, there's a lot of things you're not going to know until the doctors are like, hey, (laughs) this is what we're doing now because we found this or whatnot. Um, but just kind of explain in terms, if I would probably say about seven and below, it's just very much of, you know, there's a kind of illness and maybe explain about like the cells, I guess, um, what it looks like and kind of what does it does like, it's going to make them sick. It's going to make them tired and things like that. But we're having the doctors help with it. Um, and just explain in terms of, okay, there's an illness. Doctors are here to help this is what you might see from your sibling and they might be feeling ill or whatnot. And that's okay. Um, that we're all in this together for the older kids. Um, cause then they start asking a little bit more questions. Yes, they do. And cause they're smart. They pick up on things. Yes, they do. <laughs> Can yeah. I just interject real quick? Of course. Of um, course. I'm going to piggyback on that. So when you're, when you talk about, having that type of conversation, let's say with up to like the seven year range, I'm also assuming because I know you, uh, you are also wanting play involved, right? Like when you're having that conversation, you're not like, come sit down on the couch and let me just tell you the bad news. Like 
You want them doing something with their hands, like not necessarily mm -hmm. making eye contact if they don't right. want to, right? Right. And so I would never force eye contact with someone. Yeah. And um, when you mention not being able to answer, I don't know, I'm just going to interject this one because here I am and I might get a little emotional. So I'm going to try and push through this without like crying. But, you know, I'm sitting there having that conversation with my five year old. Um, and we're sitting there playing and I tell him about um, Evan having cancer. And he turns around and he says to me, is Evan gonna die? And I can't answer that question, especially, you know, it was so early, like, you don't know which way it's gonna go. You don't know if um, his body is gonna respond well to chemo or if he's not gonna make it, you know? which yeah, is really terrifying um, in his, you know, because I had uh, gone through a loss a year prior to Evan's diagnosis. My younger brother passed away for those of you who didn't know that. Um, and that was super traumatic. And my kids saw what grieving was like and they saw how deeply impacted I was and, you know, seeing, going to visit their uncle um, at the gravesite and whatnot. And so, I feel like my five-year-old was maybe a little more familiar with life and death, um, maybe more than other five-year-olds. Uh, but for him to ask me that, I feel like parents, in order to comfort their child, they may quickly respond with, no, of course he's not going to die, right? Um, because there's that, that mindset of, I have hope that he, he won't die, but also I don't want my child to worry. Right. Um, but in that moment when, when Austin asked me, I told him, baby, I don't know. Like the doctors are going to do everything that they can. Um, we're going to the best doctors in, in the world to, you know, that are going to help him with medicine and do surgeries and help get Evan as healthy as possible so that he hopefully does not. But I, I don't know is how I answered that, you know, to a five-year-old. And that's like, whew, you know, like I knew to be prepared for that type of question. Hence the reason why I, I took on the conversation. Yeah. Cause I had to put a little bit of that therapy hat on, you know, and it's like, mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, just telling other people and letting other people know, like, it's okay to not tell your child. It's actually better if you tell them the truth, right? Like you said, mm -hmm. tell them the truth. You don't know. And there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know. And I think there would be, it would be a detriment for you to say, no, he's not going to die. And he does. And that, what would that create? Like, you can probably elaborate a little more. Like if, if you tell your child, no, he's not going to die. And then they do end up dying. What can that do to a child? Right. And I think, and as you're talking, I'm just like, things are just popping in my head um, as they do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think culturally we don't do well with death. Yeah. We don't really talk about it. Like um, when my grandmother passed away, I had my daughter and four or five, like, four and five, maybe a little younger, maybe a little older, they 
understand death, but not to the point where they understand like it's final. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would prepare her like, okay, so um, we call her Popol, which means grandma. Um, so she's in the in there. She's not going to move. She can't hear you. She can't see you. Um, but her body's there. And there were so many people like, she's like, well, is she asleep? And there are so many people like, yeah, she's asleep. I'm like, no, she's not asleep. Stop lying to my child. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but I wanted her to know that yes, death happens, but this is how we grieve. And this is how we deal with this feeling. I didn't want to lie to her about it. Um, cause obviously some other family members were like, yeah, that's fine. I'm like, no, <laughs> we're not. What's it, what would you say is the issue with lying to them about that? Like, what does that do? Because when you're lying to them about something really big or even something small, and eventually they're going to be like, wait, you lied to me. That's not the truth. So how do I know you're telling me the truth about other things? Yeah. Right. It breaks that trust. Really, yeah. And it could be really angry. Like you said, like, let's say if your sibling dies from cancer, you lied and said that the doctors would heal it. And that's not the case. Yep. And I think that was what I, you know, obviously working in the field, it was like, I knew not to say, yeah, it's going to be fine because you don't know. And so, and like, I knew that if I, if I lied to him, that that could really scar our relationship, you know, and he could even like, just he's five years or at that time he was five years old and, you know, it could just do a lot of damage to that relationship and that trust that he has with me because of that. And he may associate the lying or whatever with, with the trauma. And that might be something really hard for him to like move past, you know, and understand until obviously until he's later on in life where he can actually rationalize a little more than a five-year-old. Right. But, um, so yeah, uh, the, the not lying to them is important. You had other ideas you said were popping into your head. So I want I'm curious. And, I mean, just kind of, it kind of goes our nature, but as a parent, um, just I'm encouraging other parents to just be open as much as possible, not be like, well, then this happens where they're like glazed over and they're like, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah I know. Um, but be open and there's going to be hard conversations that might break your heart. Um, this whole topic is heartbreaking. And unfortunately, like your family and there's other families who are going the same thing. Um, But it's one of those things like you just need to be honest with them and try to explain to them. Now, if they're teens, you can be a little bit more detailed with them because they understand death. They should understand death um, a little bit more. Like they're not going to come back from the grave. What approach would you do with a teen? Like um, with younger kids, you're you know, trying to play or do an activity. So for teens, are you, what kind of, like, how would you approach that conversation with them? So again, it depends what the teen, oh, depending upon the teen. Um, Sometimes it's just like, let's just sit down and let's talk about it. If they're already a highly anxious person to begin with, put something in their hands. And it also knows for teens, if you have, even boys, if you have something in their hands, they're more focused on that. They're listening, but their defenses are going to be up. And so it can be like drawing. It could be just having um, like putty or just something they can fiddle with, a pen. Like don't get annoyed if they're playing with it, but they're listening to you. Right. 
and ask him, be like, hey, you know, I want to know where you are. Tell me about your feelings. Let's talk about this. And so also by giving them the space to talk about what's going on, it also tells them this is a topic that's okay to talk about. You can come to me for. Yeah, that that's a big one. I think it's being able to, oh, like as a parent, how do you even maintain that welcoming, you know, um, I, I can't figure out how to say it. Like, how do you as a parent continue to show that you can handle their questions, right? Because your kids are perceiving how you are responding to everything. Mm-hmm. And if you're a parent who is taking it really hard and having an, like a really hard time hiding those emotions from the other children, um, how those children may not feel as safe to come to you, but then at the same time, you want to also be authentic and show mm-hmm. them that it's okay to, to grieve and feel emotions. And this is how we process things that are really hard for us, you know? So yeah, absolutely. And I think it's okay. Um, I think I've, what I've noticed with a lot of parents is like, we have to be strong and yeah. we can't cry. But what does that teach your child? That's not okay to cry in hard situations. So trying to step it and it's okay. Like, you know what I'm having, I'm struggling with this and I'm sad and I'm hurt, but I'm also hopeful that there will be some treatments and that they'll get better. Um, and it's okay if they see you cry. Um, but it's also check in and be like, I'm feeling this way. And what about you? I wonder if you're feeling the same way too. Yeah. I like that. What about kids in that between the like seven year and the teenage years, like how would you approach that? Um, I would also, cause they're old enough to a little bit understand about death. Right. Mm-hmm. And that might be a, a course, a topic that's going to come up at times. Um, just again, be authentic. They can be joint or whatever it is, or making, you know, bake something or just make something right. There's something about making things. Mm-hmm as you're sad for some reason, (laughs) that kind of does things, but I would be a little bit more open, like, okay, so what does this mean? What does cancer mean? What what is that exactly? Um, What's leukemia? What, you know, whatever it is, and be able to read your child too, um, because there are some kids that you still can't handle, so you'll be like, okay, we're going to do like the bare minimum of what we can talk about. And there are some kids who are t- highly intelligent that can be like 10 steps ahead of everything. And it's okay to answer those questions that they may have, but also I would allow them to lead more. Mm-hmm. Like you have questions, let's go ahead and ask that and give information. And then check in with their feelings too. And I, um, I'm a big advocate on finding children's books. And even, you know, honestly, even as a parent, when I was sitting there reading it with like different books with, with Austin and Evan about cancer, um, I actually found that it was educating me as well, because I mean, yeah, I'm in this world and I know a little bit about it, but like, I don't know, you know, and I didn't know how to explain cancer to a kid. The before Evan was diagnosed, I ended up telling him because they, they saw a little kid with no hair, you know, um, 
And I ended up telling them, you know, well, yeah, there's like a little, you know, rock that's in the body that is growing and um, it's not good, you know, like it's not supposed to be in their body and it can, can be bad and make them really sick. And so they knew a little bit about like what a tumor was, which, you know, literally this is like months before um, Evan was diagnosed, you know, and, um, but I didn't really know how to explain it to them in a way that I feel like made it more tangible. And I've mm-hmm. noticed that, um, reading certain books, uh, they have gone back to those books time and time again. And even, even Austin, like, even though he's, you know, kind of an out outsider in the sense that he's not going to clinic, he doesn't really know the ins and outs of what's going on. And we protect him from a lot of that other than your brother has no white blood cells. So don't go outside and, you know, like right. be, be careful. We, we can't like spread germs and whatnot. Right. But, um, he always goes back to those books. He grabs them, you know, at least every few weeks now still. And, you know, we're almost done with treatment at this point. And he just really likes to process through reading books. And we've got some really good books. I'll have to post those on a different one because there's one that I really, I really liked. And it was um, Cancer Party, I believe it's what it was called, uh, The Cancer okay. Party. And that, but that one, the problem with that one is it's more tumor type cancer and there's other types of cancer, you know, and it doesn't really explain anything about leukemias and whatnot. And so uh, there's another book that another therapist actually recommended to me for that one. And so I'll write a post, a blog about it later on and post those books on there. So everybody can see what books we were using that were pretty helpful for our family. Um, There were some elements that I wished those books discussed a little more, which, you know, maybe it's just the therapist to me who was like, I just wanted to have them process those feelings and maybe a little more interaction. Like I was feeling really scared that day because it never mentions emotions. It just talks about it just so scientifically, which is good Mm -hmm. for certain side of it, you know, but it's also good to integrate like for them to see this kid was, you know, going through this experience and he was scared and this is kind of how he handled that. So, yeah. you know, that's, that's our goal, right? That's right. helping kids learn how to process that. So, yeah. yeah. And I think it's important to put the emotion piece in there because there's, we're human beings. Emotions are normal. Going through trauma um, and having emotions everywhere, that's normal too. And so I think it needs to be shown to kids too. It's okay if you have these feelings. It's okay if this is what you're feeling. Yeah. And giving them words because at this age, you know, when they're so little, they don't really know a lot of those emotional words, you know, like the, the emotions. And so I just feel like, yeah, it's important. So I try to talk about it with my kids, um, Mm -hmm. But I let them also kind of lead a lot of, with the, the books that they read and they enjoy it. You know, it brings down the tone of seriousness of cancer for them. So it's not as, you know, intense. And I don't know, I, I enjoyed one of those books uh, fairly well. The Cancer Party one I did like quite a bit. So um, <laughs> I don't know, even though it has, huh? You can recite it line by line. <laughs> yeah. You know, which ironically, like we haven't read it in a while. And so I was trying to find it this past weekend and it's just like missing. I'm like, okay, well, well then it's, it's missing. But, um, I was like, who had it last? Isabella. <laughs> I know that's actually what one of them said. I think she took it. And it's like, 
<laughs> yeah, okay, kiddo. I don't think she's pulling <laughs> books out of your room. Actually, I've seen the other way around. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, oh, I, actually, last question, because this is, I mean, kind of important. Um, my last question for you would be play therapy and how you feel that would be helpful. And when would you recommend children starting play therapy? So I am a huge believer in therapy, obviously. Right. Uh, <laughs> play therapy. So honestly, the sooner the better um, to build that relationship. Um, but again, kids act out or play out what they know and what they're experiencing one way or another. So it gives them a safe environment. And it's that one-on-one -on -one relationship. So they're with a therapist one-on-one. -on -one. They have that special attention that they may not get. And it's also not a place where they're getting poked and prodded if they're the patient, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's fun. Because <laughs> yeah. they get to do a lot of different things um, within reason and limits. Um, but they get to play it out. And also with the siblings, they get to play out their feelings and get a place to kind of talk about that they may not feel comfortable talking with mom and dad because if mom and dad are stressed or scared they pick up on they may not want to really discuss that um mm -hmm. so and with play therapy as a therapist you get to reflect that and you get to pick up on things and allow them to process what they need to what age would you say play therapy like would be the most beneficial up to what age, I guess, is kind of the question. So play therapy is normally between ages 3 and 11, okay. um, just developmentally where they are, because mm -hmm. we know that we have some teens who could definitely benefit from play therapy or mm -hmm. some preteens who are past play therapy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the game. Give me the talk therapy. Let's just, you know, just talk about everything. Yeah, well, at that point, you also do di different activities with Teams, yes. like you're like coloring with them or you know um right the way that you process things with a teen is a little bit different than with children so yeah so up to like around the 11 so. mark yeah i know right <laughs> <laughs> let's play with this little tiny dinosaur <laughs> Rawr! actually i do have some clients who'd be like i want to play with those dinosaurs <laughs> <laughs> hey me too <laughs> are you some adults i want those action figures okay <laughs> <laughs> i know um, but definitely true play therapy where we're sitting there and just reflecting with the different toys and the different um with the and we're also looking at the different themes with the toys that's normally between ages three to about seven eight and then seven eight is when they want to start doing board games and it's about rules mm -hmm. so playing more games um i've played a lot of uno in my time uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah just saying a lot of yeah. jenga um strategy <laughs> we have a, place, a, a battleship game with a little boy <laughs> <laughs> i know hey whatever it takes to to have conversations right right but those would be the perfect times and if you also know that your family is going to be struggling soon or you're going to be struggling soon um go ahead and seek help. There's nothing wrong with seeking service beforehand and knowing that you have that support and someone who can guide you through this process because there may not be other people who can understand what mm -hmm. you're going through. Or there yeah. might be other people who 
judgmental because they don't really understand everything that you're going through in the process and things like that. So having someone that you know will be there for you specifically for this that will help guide you that is here to support you. I think that's always the best to start as early as possible. Yeah, or even just getting the sibling or the cancer child into therapy as soon as possible, just so that along the way, if that therapist starts saying, hey, you know what, I, I'm noticing he's really struggling with this area of his life. And here's some things that maybe you could do to kind of, you know, nurture that mm-hmm. to help him along also, because it's not just the cancer kid, you know, it's not just his I hate saying the word journey, I guess. It's not his journey. It's the whole family, right? It affects the whole family, the whole family, the whole family system, the Mm -hmm. routines, like every, like your, your life is literally turned upside down as a family. And when you were used to one thing every day, that norm, that safety of the norm, that is completely shaken and tossed up into the air because there is no norm when you're in treatment. It's like, one week it could be smooth sailing and the next week it's like, Oh, we're going to the hospital again. Oh, we're going to the hospital two days later. You know, like there's just no, there's no normalcy in any of it. So it definitely right. has an impact on kids. And, um, I'm like you, obviously I'm a big proponent for like, get your kids into therapy as soon as you can. And we tried, um, but with COVID, like we have held back on one of like my oldest one having therapy, um, because we are too afraid to get out. Unfortunately. Um, I haven't, what about like, cause you know, being in COVID time, what are your thoughts on like play therapy for like older siblings, like five or six years old doing, um, virtual sessions with people? What are your thoughts on that? It can be done. Now, how long might be different. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, just, again, it just depends. There's no hard answer to it. Yeah. So, well, um, do you have anything that you want to share? Um, no, I think that's really it. Um, I think you've asked a lot of good questions and hopefully I was able to communicate. <laughs> yes, of course. Of course. I hope, um, we get a chance to talk again soon. Um, you know, I've got like a million things and, you know, I know you, Just send me your list. I know. <laughs> exactly. Cause I'm like, uh, can we talk about this and this and this and this, uh, I was actually going to open into the intro with whole, the whole entire, thanks for taking this, the time to, t- to meet with me, but I'm pretty sure you pretty much didn't have an option because, <laughs> Because, you know, we're like besties over here, so. Right. You know you're one of my girls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was like, uh, you, you do have a choice, but you really don't. <laughs> Get it. <laughs> yeah, you know where I live. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, I really do. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, well, I just, I want to thank you so much for taking the time, you know, to help address something that is just very passionate on my heart. And you've seen it firsthand because, you know, you've been my go-to person through a lot of this where I call you when I'm like in the middle of a meltdown because of the chaos of all of uh, treatment. Mm. And so just really appreciate you taking some time and just being able to talk through some of this stuff with me so that other people could 
hopefully learn some tips and tricks and how they can talk to their children and when they could get their kids into to play therapy, knowing that we're both like, go to play therapy. <laughs> go to therapy. Yeah. You, will thank us later. you will thank us later. It may not seem like the easiest thing to do, but man, it, it really is one thing that just can't be left, you know, behind because it's, it's a whole, like systemically the whole family and your body, soul, mind, physical, like it all just during cancer treatment, it just all takes a hit. And so definitely being able to at least process some of it is helpful. So I do have something, I was also saying, um, also parents, I do encourage you to seek out therapy for yourself. I know that you're worried about your child and you want everything for your child, but here's the thing, you cannot fill from an empty cup. If you yes. have nothing to give, you can't help your child. So please seek out a therapist. There is telehealth, so. Yep, as. You can do it from home. That's what I've been yes. doing, you know, since, <laughs> since basically, I would say after about the third month, once we got settled into a semi-routine and I knew, cause we were, we're doing radiation and we didn't know what that was going to entail. And so once we did radiation and I kind of understood what the schedule was like, I was like, okay, booked. I am taking a therapist. Like there's just no way. Cause as a parent, like you said, you can't fill from an empty cup, but also like in our world, a lot of parents struggle with talking about it with their spouse. Um, or their friends and you know like that dynamic if if the dynamic between the relationship with your spouse plays a lot of into that you know how how you both talk Absolutely. about trauma but i think you know there's just certain things that it's helpful to have someone listen and not like try and problem solve or to negate what you're saying or you know yeah say hey it'll be fine you know the toxic positivity like everything happens for a reason. You'll know that, you know, God will enter a miracle, all those things that um, people have a tendency to say. And, and the therapist, you, right. you don't hear that. You just hear like, wow, I hear a lot of anger or wow, I can tell it like you're really frustrated or whatever. Right. So yeah. So parents yes. get into therapy because it is a game changer. And um, yes. so yes, thank you, my, my dear friend. I love you dearly. Thanks for joining me today. And I know we will see you and hear from you soon. So yes, there might be three cowbells on your doorstep later. Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's amazing. That is amazing. So, oh, and then you, uh, you were supposed to, you know, totally roast me because I'm totally okay with being roasted. Um, yeah, I know you like roasting me, but I'll let your text messages do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know my my typos. If anyone really knows me, like they know, I cannot text message or write on my phone because I have more typos than one can. Like I literally like look at what I'm typing, and when I skip to the next word, it changes the the other word. Like without me noticing. And I'm like, do, 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 do. and so, you know, as I, I'm going to go ahead and tell the story apparently that you didn't tell because, you know, <laughs> but it's so still offended. Yeah. Still offended. Still offended. <laughs> when I was like calling you a play therapist and in my text, you said you're an okay therapist. <laughs> so I see where I stand with you. I know you see where I, <laughs> you're just my okay therapist. <laughs> 
Whatever, there's a coffee mug I do want. The world's okayest therapist. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. And I know you've got to do some stuff and I probably need to go check on my kids and make sure they haven't burned down the house. So, Or found the Sharpies. Or found the Sharpies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, friends. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you all so much for listening to this interview. I hope that it provided you with some resources and just some information that will help you sit down and have a conversation with your children. Uh, about pediatric cancer, whether you are a parent with a child with pediatric cancer, or if you are an extended family or even a friend who knows a child that's going through pediatric cancer. So I hope that this podcast was able to give you some information on how to talk to your kids about pediatric cancer. And thanks for hanging in there with me. And if you have found this podcast helpful, or you just love the mission for family chemotherapy, please kindly rate this podcast. If you want to support this podcast and ministry, please consider becoming a patron. You can visit patreon.com forward slash family chemotherapy. You can become a patron for as little as $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. Also, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest for additional resources that I do share daily. Please tag and share your friends and other pediatric cancer families that you think would benefit from any of the content from Family Chemotherapy. Thank you, and I can't wait to share the next episode. Together, we can help heal the whole family.